Hello and welcome back to The Big Podcast. Today we've got Guy, aka Yug, chatting about his position as the Global Gaming Content Director for ReadPop, talking about different gaming trends across all different nations. He's across places all over Europe, North America, Asia, and Australia. We have a bit of a personal development chat as well, talking about when do you move on from different projects, and talking a lot about how to integrate esports and small companies into larger trade shows. Is there a place for a startup to create their own booth? What the process is for ReadPop internally for deciding what to focus on, whether it's esports versus cosplayers or whether there's percentage portfolios they have to fill within. And we make sure to have a bit of a chat about why he's also known as Gabby Borland. For any of the notes on this podcast, make sure to head to bigesports.gg forward slash 23 where you can find all of our information. One of the best things you can do for esports in Australia or abroad is support those companies that support you. What we do here in Australia at Big Esports is we've partnered with PLE Computers. They're a PC retailer that sell all of the best gaming gear. They also make a whole bunch of custom PCs, whether it's a full water-cooled massive rig to play Crisis at full graphics, or whether it's something nice and simple to take to LAN parties, play CSGO, Rocket League, Fortnite or otherwise. They've got these different solutions for you. What we're doing with PLE is instead of just a general advertising partnership, we're trying to educate audiences and we're trying to grow the local scene. So PLE are working with us on our mentor courses where we're providing discount on both shipping and parts to the people that join in. We've partnered with them on our high school boot camp where we're educating high school students on mental health, physical health and wellness, along with technology integration, understanding how they can take apart and build their own computers and save money on pre-builds. We're also working with them on this podcast, which we're hoping is educating all of you not only on just talking to cool people and understanding how they think and feel but what their struggles are how their businesses work and how the back end works so if you're looking to support a company that supports the scene make sure you check out ple at ple.com.au and grab yourself a bargain yeah mate welcome it's been a long time coming uh obviously as you know for people who follow you online which is which is quite a few people will know that you're from australia so that makes two guests in a row that have an international presence with the last podcast being Anne matthews from fanatic and yourself being an aussie now abroad and known all over the games industry mate i just want to get a bit of a download on you where where did you um start from and how did you get to where you are today because as i understand it's a bit of a zigzaggy path Oh, well, thank you very much for having me, Chris. It's, it's very exciting to actually be on this, this podcast of yours. Uh, it's, it's been quite the path uh, to get to where I am today. Uh, I, I'm currently the uh, Global Gaming Content Director for a company called Read Pop. Uh, and Read Pop oversees some of the largest video game, computer game, and tabletop gaming conventions in the world, most notably PAX, EGX, Comic-Con, Star Wars, Celebration, a whole bunch of these massive pop culture events uh, in Europe, in America, in, and across Southeast Asia, and Australia, of course. Um, so, like, my, but my background is I actually started, uh, you know, just as, as, as we all do, really, as people who are fans of, of playing games and, and, uh, and whatnot. And I actually just started uh, writing about them, started a gaming website called australiangamer.com back in about 2004, 2005 with a friend of mine. Uh, and that was back before there was any GameSpot, IGN, localized version, versions uh, in Australia uh, that people could read. So we're trying to find like local content, local coverage, have a local voice uh, in, in the market. Uh, and that did really well. Uh, and again, I, I had no professional journalistic experience or knowledge or business knowledge. It was just myself and a bunch of friends that we were getting together and 
and uh, making a website. Uh, but it, it did really well. It became quite popular. It became quite well known. And myself, my colleague Matt, became go-to people to host, to do podcasts, to live stage MC events all around Australia. And that gave me the capabilities and uh, recognition to be able to branch out on a bunch of other projects, uh, such as gaming TV shows, uh, the video game Cocktail Bar, the Manor Bar. Uh, and I was involved with Sega and THQ as a developer for a while. And I don't know, I want to say yada, yada, yada. I feel like I'm talking a lot, but to get to, <laughs> to this point, um, I was approached by uh, uh, Reed Pop and Penny Arcade uh, to be involved in starting up the very first PAX Penny Arcade Expo uh, outside of North America, which happened to be in Australia. And from there to now, that is a hell of a condensed version over the last 15 years, man. But there you go. Have at it. Fantastic. A road well traveled indeed. Mm. So was was the goal always for you to to become involved in the international gaming circuit or because most of your projects before, you know, they're quite Australian or quite localized focused. You mentioned Manor Bar, which is a, you know, local bar that opened up in Queensland and obviously you did ozgamers.com, which, you know, by nature of the name is tailored towards a local market. So has international expansion always been on your mind? No, of course not. Absolutely not. I love my home country. I love Australia and I love the Australian gaming community. I think when you get involved in, any project that has the word community in it, or that's that's what you're passionate about. Really, what you're talking about is a, at a local level. Mm. You know, I, I was very passionate about representation for the uh, Australian gaming scene, whether that be developers or uh, the games media or you know the people that play games. You know, I was very passionate about trying to actually have a local group and local representation. So for me, it was always a focus on Australia, uh, and I think I really only uh, you know, saw the opportunity to get more involved internationally uh, once uh, my involvement in PAX Australia had kind of run its course, I guess you could say. And was there any kind of culture shock for you? Now, obviously, you're involved across multiple different countries, um, you know, notably Europe and North America and Australia. Do you find there's a massive culture shift in gamers between the different sections? <laughs> oh, I love this question. Uh, kind of. Uh, the biggest difference is between usually uh, uh, the Western markets, uh, the English-speaking markets and the other markets that don't speak English. And, and sometimes it's things mm. that you might not expect. For example, uh, we were trying to actually get a gaming show off the ground in China. And this is a market where, you know, massive, I mean, the gaming uh, market in China is absolutely huge. Uh, mm. However, it's not the console gaming market. Console games only became legal in China, I think, four or five years ago, if that. Uh, so their market is much more geared around PC games and mobile games. A grandma in China who's playing a PC MMORPG is considered a casual gamer. And someone who's playing Mario Kart on the Nintendo is a hardcore gamer in China. So there's, there's a lot of differences uh, in the markets in terms of the type of games that people play and the way that people play and the way that people interact with the rest of the gaming community. Uh, but, but the sensibilities of people who are passionate about games themselves is generally universally the same around the world from, from what I see. People are excited and passionate about upcoming games. People want to actually game and play together. Uh, these fundamental things don't really change between cultures. 
And this goes back to some of the questions that was in the previous podcast. And for anyone who hasn't listened, you can just head to bigesports.gg forward slash 22 to hear that with Anne Matthews. And talking about marketing um, at different regions and, and working with gamers across the globe and how you tailor your content towards them. So do you find that there are any use case scenarios you can think of where companies haven't done the research as to you know what market they should be reaching into and also as a bit of a caveat or extra data on there how do you do the research when you're entering into a new market how do you embed yourself in the mind of a local gamer in somewhere like china i think you you have to find the right people on the ground uh to be involved uh i mean this is like you know you or me when we're we're in australia like we know the market we know the people we know the community mm. we know the frustrations that are felt you know in the aussie market oh my god the price of games is way too expensive oh my god the internet is crap it's terrible oh my god like you know there's oh what this game came out in north america two months ago and i can't get it here in australia like yeah. you understand the the challenges of the local market you really have to go tap into uh local people that understand the community and the culture of that region, not just not just the language, not just like the, the the differences of platforms, but really understand what it means to be a insert country name gamer in that particular region. So I think the biggest mistake a lot of people make is assuming they can read up and research what that market actually means or what the opportunities are uh, without actually getting local knowledge uh, or local anecdotal knowledge as to, you know, the the sense and sensibilities of the gamers in the region. Before we get into kind of esports specific questions, I keep I want to keep skirting around the the outskirts and talk about gaming. And mm. while this is you know de- definitely related to esports, is not directly inside. But yeah. I wanted to ask about booths at trade shows. So. Uh, just a general download from you. What what scale of a company do you think you have to be to be able to open your own booth at a trade show? Is it reserved for the Activision, Sony's, Razors, whoever else, or you know, is there a space for the smaller ones who are looking to function as a startup or otherwise, uh, you know, claim their stake and gain their space? Oh, come on, anyone can have a booth at a trade show. You can have a booth at a trade show. Have you had a booth at a trade show yet, Chris? Uh, not personally with our company, <laughs> but I've I've run I've run multiple with with Thermaltake and Corsair and, and MC'd quite a few other booths. I've got to say, you'd sound a bit like Oprah there. <laughs> <laughs> you can have a booth. You can have a booth. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, do you know what? Funny enough, uh, uh, the very first experience I had with booth space at a convention was I think in 2006, 2007, there was a Gen Con that came to Australia up in Brisbane. Uh, and the gaming website that we were running at the time, Australian Gamer, uh, we got involved with them to actually host uh, a couple of uh, uh, panels and stage stuff. And in return, they gave us a booth space. And we were like, what the hell are we going to do with the booth space? We're a, we're a gaming website. What are, we, mm. what are we trying to do? But intrinsically, we're all, we were a community you know, community gaming website, so we wanted to actually unite the community. So we got a bunch of uh, milk crates, uh, old CRT TV, a Super Nintendo, a bunch of bean bags, and a bunch of candies and lollies to lure people in. Uh, and that was our booth to actually be like, "Hey, come chill out, play some games, and find out more about our community." And really, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna give an example of the lowest, lowest, lowest common denominator, a community gaming website with a booth with bean bags and a a crappy TV and a Super Nintendo is pretty much at the low end of the spectrum. But mm. for us, that was really effective. It was great. There are a bunch of people that were at that event that never heard of our website. They got to meet us. And really, there's there's something to be said for the the, the ability to tangibly talk to and meet to meet people 
at an event as opposed to just promoting and marketing something digitally online. Uh, so really, the opportunity exists for anyone that has a product or a service or, or something that's of interest to the audience that's going to come to the show. This is a real like uh, way of just saying uh, anyone can get, can find benefit and reason to actually have a booth, uh, whether or not the product is actually of a standard or level that we particularly want that booth at our show. That's different. That's a different conversation. <laughs> mm, so no milk crakes in Yug 2019. I hey, look, look, no, no, I'm not saying that. Actually, my, one of my favorite booths I think at PAX Australia in the last couple of years was Bar SK. Louis and the group down in Melbourne do a great job of pulling together some really. Uh, random activations in their little their, their space that they've had. Creative, yes. Yes, I feel like a real estate agent trying to describe a, a listing. But yes, creative. <laughs> Fantastic. So that obviously means then, you know, esports companies would possibly have a have a space or, or startups. How do you, I guess, I guess for, for you pitching from your side, how do you justify the cost to someone who's a startup who doesn't have much money in the bank to, you know, put down the money to open their own space? Well, I think a lot of it depends on what you're trying to get out of the convention you're going to. Like most of our events are forward-facing consumer events, and they are the largest in their respective markets. So we run the largest gaming events in Australia, in North America, and the UK. Uh, but really, if if you're a startup, you want that exposure, you want that recognition, you want to meet people, and you convince them to actually support your brand. And to be honest, there's this other angle, which is the opportunity to actually mingle and meet and network with the broader industry mm. you know a, a lot of uh, a lot of companies whether they're startups or even some of the larger ones use the opportunity to have a, a boost space at the largest gaming show as an opportunity to kind of cement or make their mark you know we are here we are here in a legitimate uh way we are here to actually show that we are as sizable or as important as these other companies that also have boost space here as well you know a lot of people do it for many different reasons so and for us it's it's a case of trying to actually accommodate that so uh, another example is at most of our shows we have a section dedicated for uh, indie developers up-and-coming indie developers and the booth space we custom and tailor to be more appropriate for those companies it's at a cheaper rate it's a turnkey solution it's not so, the same thing that you would find from like a giant Microsoft or Nintendo or Sony booth or whatnot. And the reason for that is we want them represented in our show and we realize that you know they the, their needs and their requirements are slightly different. So it, there's, there's, there's give and take. Uh, there's, there's us recognizing the people that we're working with and trying to actually help them. Uh, and then there's the recognition that there's massive benefit to exhibiting at these shows. Yeah, I'd love to see some esports teams and also uh, content creation or influencer agencies opening up their own booths as well. I think it's from from my standpoint, I think it's a fantastic way for them to combine the sponsors they currently have into one physical space, and then you know with their own messaging and branding, and you know that helps offset their costs as well. Well, we see we see a lot of that, and we have a lot of that uh, shows around the world. You know, whether it be esports groups that are having a booth uh, specifically promoting their teams or to sell sell their merch, man. Like the mm. merch for esports teams is actually huge. I think almost every ESL activation that happens at our show comes along with a ESL booth where they're selling their merch and they have meet and greets with the teams and and all this kind of stuff. So really, and, and I guess that's the other thing. When we talk about, we, we're narrowing down the field of, of, of gaming, right? You, you say gaming as a whole, you've got all the different fields, you've got 
console gaming, PC gaming, tabletop gaming. Let's narrow it down to esports. But within esports, you have the esports teams, you have the non-endemic sponsors, you have the competitions themselves. And the competitions, you've got the high-level professional competitions, you've got the qualifiers, then you've got the 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 ones that are just anyone at the show can actually attend or compete in like there's a lot of different levels and a lot of different little factions that exist within that that realm when you just say esports so when we talk about an esports booth or an esports company that can run the gamut of well they just need a booth to sell some stuff versus they need a space to run a tournament versus they need a stage to do an event so thinking about the general operations of a company's booth here, you've, you've identified a few things. You've, you've talked about, you know, sales. Um, you've talked about understanding what you're trying to push, about engaging with the community, as well as, you know, establishing your branding stake in the place. Do you find that, that those are the main things that, that most of your clients are looking to push when they're, when they're, you know, wanting to create their own booth? Is there one that's more important than another or some points that we've missed? I think the, the main one at a consumer event is to try and uh, – uh, try and engage engage effectively and credibly with the community uh, at, a, at a show. So I, I guess there's, there's two sides to it, right? One is, are you trying to engage with the people that already know your brand? Are you trying to uh, do something for your fans, for the people that are already following you, to actually give them something to do at this event or reward them for being you know, a follower of your brand? Mm. Or are you looking to try and get new business to try and new business oh god that's a forget forget that that's so that's so corporate let me let me scale back a bit uh you're you looking to get like you know new new fans new followers new people that don't know about your brand and to let them know so to reach out and find and find new people this is i think this is the the interesting challenge that exists we see a lot of uh companies they they go off and do their own events whether it be their own uh tournaments or qualifiers or or you know, uh, uh, EA going off and doing their own play events, or, or League of Legends doing their own. Uh, everyone, everyone does their own event. Is that catering to the existing audience that you have, or is that trying to reach out to a new audience? So I think when you do mm. something at uh, a gaming event or a Comic Con or, or something like that, you're really it's a mixture of both, and I think that's where the value really lies. Listen to me, man. I sound like a sales guy. I'm not trying. You do. I'm not, tr- I'm not trying to sell this. <laughs> ah, that's all right. Well, that's that's the way mind, I'm positioning. Yeah. <laughs> that's the way I've, I've positioned you, unfortunately. But that's all right. We'll we'll get away from we'll get away from booth soon. Don't you worry. Look, as, as long, other... look, as long as I get a commission for this, this is all great. Are you going to ask for a commission too? <laughs> God damn it! You could use use code Yug at the checkout. No worries. <laughs> I love no it. Worries. Let's do it. So I want to I want to do an interesting thought exercise for you. So I'm sure that you've seen a bunch of booths all over the world that have been absolutely dead for a whole trade show. Uh, is there a formula as to why those didn't work? Is there a common denominator? And is this something that you know people can keep into mind when they're planning their own? Uh, I think the worst uh, booth activations I've ever seen are usually usually driven by the the lack of engagement from the people that are on them. There's nothing less welcoming at a booth than someone who is sitting behind a table uh, and looking mm. like they don't want anyone to come up and talk to them. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's go, go to any, any, any show and you'll see the difference between someone that's standing out the front. They're talk they're talking about their game. They're engaging people. They're saying, Hey, come, do you want to play this game? Do you want to check this out? Are you interested in this? Can I tell you about this? Like it really is that classic, uh, spruiking, promoting kind of attitude that, that tends to actually 
be a winner. But the worst thing you can possibly do, my God, is just sit there and be like, and be like you don't want to be there and go, oh, God, it's really hard. Oh, it's Saturday. I'm so tired. Oh, we went out to that party last night. Oh, it's so hard. I'm like, why the fuck are you there if that's the case? So uh, I think I think the biggest advice I could probably give anyone is if you're going to have a booth, you've got to be on the entire time that you're there. And if you want to get the value from it, then you need to you need to be forward facing. You need to be a people person. You've got to be wanting to tell people, talk to people and bring them into your booth because that's what everyone else there is trying to do as well. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And that happens probably more often than not at B2B events as well. But even though it's a B2B trade show, it still equally doesn't make you want to go and talk to those people who look like they'd <laughs> rather be asleep or in another country or planet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that's, uh, and don't get me wrong, there's something to be said for like the booth space itself in terms of dressing it up and making it look good. But uh, I think gaming is quite, uh, from what I've seen of a lot of other uh, events, uh, throughout our parent company read exhibitions, I think gaming is is quite unique because you really don't need a fancy, well built booth to really show off something that's genuinely awesome. Like if you have a game that is amazing, if you have a product that is fantastic mm. and genuinely speaks and is credible to the gaming community, uh, it's you could just have an empty booth with like one TV. And a controller there that just a sign behind it that says the best game you're going to play this show, you know, and, and that's it. Mm. Uh, you know, any, anything that's over the top. And this is why we have a, a no booth babe policy either, because you don't want that that over the top spectacle of a lot of other trade shows and whatnot. With gaming, it's actually more important to be credible and genuine than it is to be flashy and over the top. Yeah, I think you're right. The, and one thing that I've definitely learned from experience from exhibiting at EB Expo uh, once before with, with one of the brands I work for is not leaving the walls the, the standard white panes that you get as well. <laughs> it looks it looks terrible. Yeah. I yeah. won't make that the mistake again, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and, and this is the thing. These are lessons to be learned as well. The more times mm. you exhibit and you go to a convention, uh, you, you, you become seasoned. There are... There are people, actually, there are many Australian groups uh, that uh, that exhibit at many of our shows around the world, uh, Fellow Traveler and SMG Studios and Define Development, League of Geeks, fantastic developers. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you right now, they are all, they're all so on the ball with their booths. Like, they're, they're hour and a half to set up. They, they've got their volunteers in each city to help. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what their goal is. They've got their their metrics for success like you know you do it enough times and you you really start to feel that you you've got a hold of it yeah definitely a niche niche section within the market and i know companies you know like corsair and, and a lot of the other endemics as mm. well they have a full team and, and that's their full-time job is to look after these shows all over the world and oh yeah and make sure that those things are locked down oh. and it's it's hard i've i've done these a few times myself with with corsair and thermal take i've probably been involved in I think about four or five shows across EB Expo and PAX, and it's it's a it's a drain. It's a lot of work. It's a slog, absolutely, man. And it is it's it's like you're going through like a, a really intense experience because it's not just like a nine to five job. You're on your feet. You're talking. You're constantly on. Uh, there's this 
one of my favorite aspects of conventions actually is the uh, the last night, mm. the last night when it when it's finished, when it's done. Uh, you know, you you and your team or the people that you worked with, it's you you really you've really been through something together. Do you know what I mean? You've really you've, yeah. you've been in the trenches. You've there's this great been camaraderie. Camp, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's this great camaraderie that comes about from. Uh, from going through a convention and it's not to say that a convention is like an oh my god a harrowing terrible experience but it's just it's exhausting and physically and mentally demanding and everyone knows it so if you were there with someone else who was there like you kind of look at each other and you nod and you're like yeah i was there man yeah you know yeah you know if you know you know well that's very true <laughs> so as as far as your like as far as as all of the events you're involved in globally is is esports becoming a more of a play in those? Yeah, absolutely, man. We actually have a, a dedicated uh, a, a good friend of mine by the name of Luke Thompson, who's a head of esports at uh, at Reed Pop, who curates a lot of the, the things that we do. Uh, we started the PAX Arena uh, many many years ago, which is an esports play within our, our PAX events. Uh, and we've worked closely with Twitch and ESL and a bunch of other partners on on esports activations with you know within our events, whether it be EGX over in the UK or um, New York Comic Con with Twitch and like it, it's yeah esports is is here and it's here to stay. I think the the question for us from an esports point of view is really you know what do our audience actually want to see what do people actually want to experience mm. how how at what level of esports do the people that attend new york comic-con want to see compared to the people that go to egx for us it's very much a case of reading and understanding who our audience demographics are and making sure that we uh tailor the content appropriately yeah, and I guess, I guess if you're keeping packs in mind and and discounting the other ones, it's it's always got to be a struggle for you of balance, right? Because everybody who's a cosplayer is going to tell you that that's the most important, along with tabletop. You know, you've also got the general gaming fans that are in in there. You've got the anime fans that are that can be quite vocal, and then the esports fans, who we both know, can be extremely vocal. So, is it is it often is it often a notion of okay, we're going to have to drop X amount of activations for cosplay to the to be able to bring in esports, or is there still room in the in the budget or in the market to just start adding on more and more and more? No. Well, I mean, with PAX, PAX specifically is is about games. And for us, uh, it's kind of, if you look at PAX, it's kind of like the pillars of the gaming industry, you know, PC games, console games, handheld, uh, VR. And then, then across that, you've got different uh, sensibilities. So you've got panels or free play or tournaments or esports. Uh, so really esports is just another section for us to add into our shows mm. that we have to add into our shows because this is another aspect of gaming just like uh, i think in the last year we've added a uh, a battle royale 100 pc lan area into most of our packs because this is the direction and this is the need for you know the future of gaming so mm. esports is here to stay and so are, uh, are a lot of other aspects and we just grow to accommodate that and add those areas. And I mean, we've we've talked mostly about booths, but obviously, you being you know the global gaming content director at at you know across all of these shows, what's the balance of you versus you know booths versus panels, talks, or extra activities? So with the with the panels, and, and again, PAX is very 
well, a little bit unique in this respect. Like most of the PAX events have, oh man, between between 100 to 200 panels that happen over their three to four days. Uh, like I think PAX East that's coming up has eight theaters running uh, from uh, 10 a.m. in the morning till midnight theater, uh, across four days. So it's it's insane. The, the important thing for us in terms of content uh, from an esports point of view is to make sure that it's well represented. We get many people from the industry and the community that submit uh, panels uh, and we go through and we curate them. So we see, hey, here's 40 panels that were submitted by different ver- or various groups or communities about esports. And it, 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 that's such a broad category. Like one panel might be talking, might be focused on casters and the challenge of casters, you know, uh, and, and actually doing that. How do you actually get into the casting side of things versus mm. another panel that features a team that want to actually talk about their road to victory and whatnot versus uh, Riot Games that wants to do a panel to talk about like their upcoming IPLs or like, you know, it, it's, it, there's such a, a broad range of topics and categories when you say esports that can actually be discussed. Uh, and for us, it's a case of just making sure that we pick the best content and the best panels and help to curate them. Uh, so that they they are the, the best people that are on them that we possibly can to make sure it's a diverse range of people that are talking as well um, and uh, to make sure that matches up with the rest of the content that we have at the show. I think, I can't remember the percentage. We, we, we usually go off percentage rates, right? So like esports, I can't remember what it is. So th- I'm, I'm, this is not going to be right, but let's assume I'm like, oh, we need to make sure we've got at least – 15% of our panels are esports panels mm. or, or something like that. Like there's, there's a, there's a rate that we have to make sure that we've got a balance of content across the board. So mm. esports fits into that. Definitely. Yeah. And that was going to be my, my next question, like not necessarily just across um, panels, but across everything. Do you have an internal, um, internal tracking document that says, you know, we want X amount of trade show booths filled up of games versus anime versus um, developers versus whatever else, along with all of the rest of the content. Oh, I can't, I can't reveal these trade secrets, Chris. What are you talking about? But, <laughs> um, but <clears throat> I will say that within the within the PAX events, um, it's gaming. It's just gaming. Mm. So there's you don't really see much anime. You don't really see well. There's no cosplay booths. There's no it's it's just pure gaming so that is console pc tabletop hardware uh or tertiary educations or merch or like it's it's that side of things there's certain elements that we do on the on the expo floor like we we only allow a certain amount of retailers to be on the show floor uh we only allow a certain amount of hardware platforms to be on the show floor like we limit certain things so it doesn't turn into just a uh, like a marketplace mm. uh, to make sure that the experience on the expo floor is authentic and credible. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I guess the, I guess the question from my side is, do you have some internal tracking that, that keeps you accountable to keep that balance within all things? Cause I, cause you know, I guess the standard squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? It could be very easy for, for you to say, Oh, esports is the next hottest thing and you overstack your show. So is there a way to keep yourself accountable? Uh, to, well, I mean, see, here's the thing. There's so many different areas you're talking about you're talking about the expo floor, or you're talking about the panels, or you're talking about the, the console area, or the PC area, or the VR area, or, or, or whatnot. And the answer to that is there are a lot of really talented, smart people <laughs> that are involved in each country for all of our events uh, that are passionate and keep track of a lot of these things. So mm. uh, I'm not saying there's some 
magical, all-encompassing document. Um, but there is there are, there are stop gaps that exist uh, to to make sure that you know we don't over overextend ourselves in one particular area over the other. So if if someone's looking to learn a bit more information for themselves about events event management and execution, where do you suggest they can go to get this data? Oh, event management and execution. Well, you know what? I mean, look, if you're if you're in Australia, uh, I would say uh, there's a bunch of different groups to go and hang out with the AAA, the oh god, I'm going to get this wrong, the Entertainment and Exhibition Association of Australia is the group that actually represent events in Australia. That's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other thing I'd say is there are opportunities with all our events to volunteer, to join up as an enforcer, which is the name that we give to our volunteer group uh, that work on packs, or volunteer within our Comic-Cons or uh, our other shows, EGX or Star Wars Celebration or whatnot. Like if you want to actually get a sense of what it's like to see behind the scenes of an event, uh, then that's the best way to do it. That's the most hands-on way to do it, to really give you a sense of things. Yeah, I guess that this exact same um, kind of information comes through across every single industry we talk to here at the at the big podcast. Whether you're a commentator or a budding commentator, whether you're looking to become a journalist, run your own esports team, become a prof- professional player, or even run events like PAX yourself or booths at PAX, the the answer is always the same, exactly the same as what you've given. So I guess you've passed the test, which is <laughs> you know jump on the jump on the ground, put your hand up, and and start learning from the ground level before you yeah before you try to progress up the chain. <laughs> yeah, look. Absolutely. And, and you know what? I say this based on uh, my own experiences and my own successes and whatnot. Everything that I've done uh, is usually off the back of me being proactive and entrepreneurial to actually do it myself. You know, if someone doesn't give you the opportunity, then go out there and fucking make it, you know, like uh, try and try and build it. If you if you truly believe that you have a voice, if you have something to contribute, if you have an area that you want to be involved in, if you think that you have something that is different from anyone else that's out there and you can contribute and be involved, then prove it. Go out there and prove it. And I guarantee other people in the industry will take notice. That that ties me well into what I want to ask you next. So obviously you've been quite successful in many different areas. You've, you've identified your path to working with the local read pop team then to global you know previously working with manabar and and also a very successful website australiangamer.com how do you know when to stop and move on to the next project (laughs) um i i I think that comes (laughs) you tell hey you tell me chris you tell me (laughs) (laughs) i don't i don't have the answer either and i find this really interesting because most i mean our podcast does this and and most other people do as well they talk about how to start when to start you know looking at things for success but yeah i really want to know you know when do you finish when do you call it quits and move on to the next project i look you know what i think this comes down to a uh this is a more of a personal thing a personal sensibility Mm. uh you know i think this comes down to what it is that uh what it is that actually makes you happy what drives you right you know and i think Early on, uh, I, I had a bunch of projects and things that I would do, and I'm like, man, I'm going to work towards this. I'm going to work towards this. Yes, this is going to be great. And then you 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 get that, you achieve that, you actually it happens. Mm. And then it's not like it's not like the movies where where it's like, okay, you live happily ever after. It's like all all that happens is you you're left with a sense of, well, what's next? 
Yeah. You know, and I think there's there's a couple of different types of people in this world, and one of those types is the people that really your your happiness is derived from the pursuit of happiness rather than the goal itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm definitely one of those people where you know if I'm working towards something, I am I am at, I'm most happy. Uh, but if I actually achieve it, all I get is a sense of okay, cool. What's next? So uh, I think I think it, it's it's more of a personal thing. Uh, if you can actually find derive happiness and and satisfaction from you know whatever it is you're doing, then great, keep doing it. Don't stop. Keep doing it. Be happy. Be successful. Um, but if you're, I think if you have a more uh, entrepreneurial or you know, motiv- motivated spirit, then you're just gonna keep. <laughs> Keep changing, man. You gotta keep finding the next thing mm. uh, to do it. Otherwise, I would have stayed in Australia and kept doing Pax Australia because what an amazing show. But for me, I, I kind of felt I'd gotten to a point after five years of doing it where I'm like, I got that. I got this. It's it's good. It's at a point where I need to figure out what's next. Yeah, no, exactly right. I guess it's the same story of people who win the lottery and keep working, right? Or those that are entrepreneurs that have a big exit from a company, you know, $100 million in their pocket, and they go, okay, what's the next company I can make that's bigger and better, you know, within the same or a different industry? Yeah, exactly. Mm, So be like Yug, aka Elon Musk, and uh, shoot for your dreams. Whoa, 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 let's scale that back. The last thing I want to say out there is be like Yug. There are too many people that have drunk too much tequila to actually be like Yug. I just, just uh, all I'm saying is it's the entrepreneurial spirit and nature of things. So, <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I think it's a good answer, and that's you know for anyone listening, this wasn't in the question sheet. It was it was very sprung onto Yug. So good. I love. I think sprung. you answered that one well. Sprung is good. Yeah, and I th- <laughs> and I think it's a I think it's a good question to ask because it's not even when you've had success, but but knowing when you've had failures. And I've run into this issue myself in the past in business where, like you were saying, trying to focus on too many things at once. And you need to understand then, and, and I needed to reflect and say, okay, what's important to myself? What's important to my business? And what's my end goal here? You know, is it really worth me spending all this time pursuing this one thing? Let's say I wanted to do a bigger deadlift at the gym. You know, is it really worth me putting in all this extra time to reach that deadlift goal that's not going to gain me anything? Or is it better to be able to set up my future and to do, you know, and, and to work harder and, and progress towards goals that really matter to me in the long run? <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. It's It's funny you say like the... The failures, you know, funny enough, when I look back at all the things that I've worked on over the many years, uh, you know, I'm very proud of the projects that I've done. Uh, but there's another angle, there's another aspect of this, and that is to say that Australian Gamer never became a financial uh, success. You know, I ended up actually, we ended up actually selling, uh, not selling, but incorporating this Australian Gamer into Game Planet, uh, the matter bars in Brisbane and Melbourne ended up shutting down eventually. They didn't end up working. Like all these projects that I've done, all these entrepreneurial projects, uh, a lot of them did not work. A lot of them, frankly, lost me a lot of money. However, those experiences and that knowledge and the things that I actually did, if I did not go through them, they they would not give me the knowledge or experience uh, to be doing what I am doing today mm. uh, and that includes like launching events in different countries not not all of them are working not all of them work out that's that's fine this is the learning process that you have to go through to actually get better at what you're doing yeah uh, so i think there's another aspect of this which is to suggest that you know you 
I mean, it's, oh my God, this is cliche. You, it's cliche. You learn as much from your failures as you do as you, from your success. But, uh, mm. but, oh my God, like you really do. And it puts things in perspective in a, in a much different way. Yeah, there's the, there's the old adage of failure way to success, right? And, and it's the same as what we talk about a lot in our education course here and some of our one-on-one mentoring with students is, yeah, sometimes you have to put in the hard yards at a minimum wage or volunteering, but ultimately it's going to get you so much further. Because I guess if you think about it even in a time sense, if you can volunteer or work in a minimum wage for three years, you're going to get so much experience and you're probably going to have more experience and knowledge than someone who's put in for a four-year degree that's looking into your industry, especially if it's not degree-specific. So ultimately, you've come out one year ahead of them and with a lot less debt to, to pay off to the university you just completed. <laughs> yeah. It, look, it's it's a risk. Everything, everything you do, uh, if you're trying to actually shoot for the stars, is a risk. And there is as much chance of, of it not working out as there is a chance of it actually working out so like any of the stuff that you mm. you do that you that is you know beyond the usual like we could all go and get very safe jobs and nine to five companies that are you know using our skill sets and you work there for 40 years we could we can all do that um but there's there's a sense and sensibility for i think a, a group of people which is to be like no we we want to risk it and sometimes those risks don't pay off and you got, got to be willing to roll with those punches and sometimes they do mm. so i agree this is very vague but but uh, that that is that is a sensibility that i believe in yeah i know i agree 100 percent. so if if someone's looking to come into read pop in a similar position to yours whether locally or or globally is there is there a specific pathway you would suggest that someone starts to look at oh well you see it's it's like uh it's like the highlander man like you gotta i mean to get to my position first of all you gotta go through luke lancaster the content manager for read pop in australia so maybe i don't know like cut off his head and take his power <laughs> and then then see where that gets you uh, i will say that um uh read pop being a global company there are many opportunities and positions that are constantly opening up at our our um our read pop business units all around the world so if you actually go to the readpop.com website or uh, our other uh company gamer network uh, the the website you'll see I think there's about 20 listings at the moment for roles and positions across our events and our websites at the moment and I mean Christ if like if myself like an Aussie can kind of you know climb this 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 ladder there's opportunities to actually be more involved in the global network then you know you can probably do that from any country uh, I think it's I'd like to say, say I'm like the the, the lowest rung. In a, we're so far away from the rest of the world, you know. If, if I can actually, mm. you know, uh, make an impact on a global level and actually achieve something at a global level coming from Australia, that's then really you've you've got no excuse. Yeah, the internet definitely helps with that disconnect, but too bad our internet's also terrible. <laughs> so, yeah. That is true. That is true, yes. The Aussie underdog rings true. That's very true. <laughs> I like it. Fantastic. So if anyone's looking to connect with you, Yug, or ask you any more questions, where can they find your work online? Uh, I am not hard to find on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, just search for a Yugstar, Y-U-G-S-T-A-R. Uh, and I'm um, pretty, pretty easy to contact. Don't hesitate. Don't be nervous to shoot me through a message or at me or anything. I'm usually pretty responsive. Uh, and uh, yeah. 
Yeah, please. And a, a second bonus question I want to ask you quickly before we wrap up is, can can you quickly summarize the Gabby Borland story and, and why so many people know you as Gabby Borland? Oh, my God. Oh, God. This meme has got to die, man. <laughs> uh, many, not many years ago, a few years ago when Pokemon Go was released, uh, it actually came out in Australia and Japan before it was rolled out in the rest of the world. This is something, I don't know if many people remember this, but Australia and Japan were the test markets for it. So it was, it launched like a soft launch. Uh, mm. And I remember downloading it. Uh, and I, what, what was I doing? I was, we were judging the uh, PAX Oz Indie Showcase games at the time. And I saw Pokemon Go and I'm like, oh, this is, this is cool. I downloaded it and, you know, I, I played it for a bit. I'm like, you know what? This this seems to me like uh, an app that would is a great opportunity to to go out and hang out with a bunch of friends and go hunting some Pokemon. So I made an event, a Facebook event, uh, where I invited a bunch of friends, friends from the gaming industry, that I'm like, hey, come, why don't we go to the Sydney Botanical Gardens and around the Opera House and some of the iconic areas down by Darling Harbour, and let's let's go for a Pokemon walk. Let's go for a walk. And uh, this event, which uh, was a public Facebook event, ended up with about 15,000 people uh, saying they were going to come. Uh, and it, it escalated to a point, especially, and this was just at the, the, the start of Pokemon Go fever as well. So every fucking news program mm. and journalist and everyone wanted to get involved with it. So, and the, the other thing was Nintendo isn't, doesn't represent Pokemon Go. That's very important. Pokemon Go is represented by the Pokemon uh, company, mm. which is a separate entity to Nintendo. So Nintendo Australia were not fielding any questions or any interviews at all about Pokemon Go. So uh, I found myself in this position of being the go-to representative to talk about Pokemon Go in the first couple of weeks when it actually launched in Australia. Fantastic. Uh, and... Uh, no, it wasn't fantastic, man. It sucked. <laughs> it sucked. Because here's the other thing, right? Honestly, I know nothing about Pokemon. Mm. I can name you like three Pokemon characters. I know nothing about it. So I I, 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 I knew nothing. I just, like, it's frustrating to all people that are passionate about Pokemon. I'm like, I know uh, Pikachu and Charizard and... Uh, Bulbasaur, and that's pretty much it. So, uh, anyway, there was a, there was a, one of the news reports was on SBS World News, and for some reason they credited my name in the byline when they did an interview with me instead of Guy Blomberg. They wrote it as Gabby Borland, and I have to this day no idea why that happened. Uh, maybe the person writing it was having a stroke at the time, and like uh, I, I, I don't know. Fantastic. Uh, but that's how it came up on screen, and that is uh, that became a meme, and that became something that has haunted me to this day. Obviously, Chris, thank you. Obviously, perfect. That's good. So, <laughs> a, a final a final question for you is: How do you stay up to date with the gaming industry and, and know what's going on? If you've got to pick the content, obviously you've got to know what's hot. Uh, well, to be honest, um, a lot of it is actually relying on other people that are in each country involved in each show. The nice thing about being across uh, all of our events globally is that I'm not the person on the ground specifically that's picking and choosing a lot of the content. 
but more importantly, just making sure that our team are aware of what's new. I mean, here's the thing, man. I'm I'm 37 years old. I'm a 37-year-old gamer. Uh, my favorite type of games are old-school platformers and point-and-click adventure games and RPGs. Mm. I am not the Fortnite generation. I am not the the, the new up-and-coming gamers. This is a fascinating thing to actually see a, a, a disparity between gaming generations. We've got people that come to our shows and they're like, oh, God, it's more... It's more Fortnite and uh, <laughs> PUBG plays. Oh God, you know, versus you know your younger generation that are coming up playing these games. So mm. actually, if if anything, the, the the two things that I do, first of all, to keep up to date, uh, I follow and friend a a lot of people in the games industry. I use mostly social media algorithms to make sure that I'm seeing what's relevant and what's actually happening in the games industry. Uh, and the other one is to make sure that anyone in our teams are consulting and and we're hiring people that are from different generations across the gaming sphere. Mm. You know, it, it's it's I, I feel it's a, a bit of a new thing for us because you know, ten years ago, if you were, you know, you grew up playing games in Nintendo and Sega and whatnot, like you were considered an expert. And now, as we go on, our industry is growing and maturing, and you have different generations of people that have different experiences and knowledge of games and you can't be the one individual that knows everything uh so you need to concede to the idea that you're not gonna not every game is for you fantastic spoken i must say that's spoken like a true leader i mean for anyone who's leading a business right you can't you can't micromanage and and pretend to understand exactly what a gamer in london's going to like at any given time versus one in australia so you know relying on hiring good people and and for them to feed up the information seems like the way to go for any business not just yours right yeah no i i, I stand by that <laughs> fantastic all right yeah thanks for joining us today and and for anyone listening to the podcast you can get the show notes any questions asked as well as any relevant links to to yug and gabby Borland at big forward slash 23 as always we have new episodes out every thursday thanks for listening and bye for now Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. Today's podcast and all of season one and season two has been brought to you by our sponsor, PLE Computers.